It is much easier to believe a lie than to embrace truth. Several times God said, man said, has cited this principle and noted it as a matter of kinship. Our great-great-grandmother Eve believed a lie, and it has been like mother, like daughter ever since. Adam followed his wife's lead and has been like father, like son, ever since. The carnal cannot recognize truth. They clamor for it, but when it is placed before them, they can't recognize it. This should be no surprise, because they can't define truth. The King of Glory defines truth. John 17:17 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those who seek the truth should be advised that it can be found in no other. If you haven't yet met Jesus Christ, are you ready to face the truth? Are you ready to make your peace with God through total surrender to His Word? If not, your life will continue to be meaningless, and you shall continue to stumble at noonday. If you choose to follow the truth, Jesus Christ the righteous, today will be the best day of your life, and tomorrow will be better. Have you received a better offer? Click on the Further with Jesus on this website. Today is your day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Seek while you still have time. Now for today's subject. God said, Psalms 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. God said, Psalms 144, 9 through 15, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. Rid me, and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, offering all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. America was founded upon the only begotten Son of God, the rock Christ Jesus, and all of her blessings and greatness are a product of God's benevolence. Man said, this is not a Christian nation. It was founded by deists and agnostics. We must rally behind the concept of the separation of church and state and remove all symbols of Jesus Christ. Now the record. Nearly all the quotes in this series of articles are from David Limbaugh's 416-page book titled Persecution and from the Christian Defense Fund's small but powerful 77-page book titled One Nation Under God. This is the final feature in this three-part series designed to answer the following questions. Is Jesus Christ the foundation and Lord of America? Does the American Constitution guard against the intrusion and even the mention of the Lord Jesus Christ in the public forum? Was the American Constitution authored by deists and agnostics? This is the final of a three-part series that will declare history as it really happened. The historic record continues. The suggestion by some that George Washington, our founding father, was anything other than a Christian is blatant falsehood. Regardless of what the revisionists attempt to read into history, 
the pen of George Washington clearly testifies of his powerful confession of Jesus Christ. An example is our first president's personal prayer book in which he wrote by his own hand his daily prayers, one in the morning and one in the evening. Part of his Monday morning and evening prayers follow. Monday morning. O eternal and everlasting God, I presume to present myself this morning before thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to accept my humble and hearty thanks. Direct my thoughts, words, and works, wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Bless my family, friends, and kindred and unite us all in praising and glorifying Thee in all our works. Monday evening. Most gracious Lord God, from whom proceedeth every good and perfect gift, I offer to Thy divine majesty my unfeigned praise and thanksgiving for all Thy mercies towards me. I have sinned and done very wickedly. Be merciful to me, O God, and pardon me for Jesus Christ's sake. Thou gavest Thy Son to die for me and hast given me assurance of salvation upon my repentance, and sincerely endeavoring to conform my life to his holy precepts and example. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ. I beseech thee to defend me this night from all evil, and so more for me than I can think or ask for Jesus Christ's sake in whose most holy name and words I continue to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Washington spoke to the Delaware Indian chiefs on May 12, 1799, excuse me, and said, You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. Congress will do everything they can to assist you in this wise intention. End of quote. Concerning government, Washington said, True religion affords government its sure support. The future of this nation depends on the Christian training of our youth. It is impossible to govern without the Bible. You may remember the statement, Give me liberty or give me death. It became the battle cry of the American Revolution. It was spoken, of course, by Patrick Henry, who became a five-time governor of the state of Virginia. Concerning the founding of America, he said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. On his deathbed, Henry said, Doctor, I wish you to observe how real and beneficial the religion of Christ is to a man about to die. I am, however, much consoled by reflecting that the religion of Christ has from its first appearance in the world been attacked in vain by all the wits, philosophers, and wise ones, aided by every power of man, and its triumphs have been complete. On September 6, 1774, the very first act of the Continental Congress, which would become the United States of America, was to call its people to prayer. On May 16, 1776, Congress called for a day of humility, fasting, and prayer. The decree read, The Congress, 
desirous to have people of all ranks and degrees, duly impressed with a solemn sense of God's superintending providence, and of their duty, devoutly to rely on his aid and direction, do earnestly recommend Friday the 17th day of May be observed by the colonies as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, that we may with united hearts confess and bewailed our manifold sins and transgressions, and by sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease God's righteous pleasure, and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, obtain this pardon and forgiveness. On September 11, 1777, Congress ordered 20,000 Bibles for distribution to the troops, the law reads. The use of the Bible is so universal and its importance so great that your committee refers the above to the consideration of Congress, and if Congress shall not think it expedient to order the importation of types and paper, the committee recommends that Congress will order the Committee of Commerce uh, Commerce, to import 20,000 Bibles from Holland, Scotland, or elsewhere into the different parts of the states of the Union, whereupon it was resolved accordingly to direct said Committee of Commerce to import 20,000 copies of the Bible. Those attempting to rewrite history and to expunge the record of Jesus Christ conveniently excuse me, refuse to recognize that the United States Supreme Court begins each day with God save the United States and this honorable court. They refuse to acknowledge that the U.S. House of Representatives was also used as a church until after the Civil War. They also must not be aware that the walls of the U.S. Rotunda depict a pilgrim's prayer, the water baptism of Pocahontas, DeSoto erecting the cross of Jesus Christ on the banks of the Mississippi, and George Washington passing into heaven, or that the very first session of the U.S. Supreme Court began with a four-hour communion service in honor remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ the founding spirit of America? The history continues. Since 1789, chaplains have ministered to members of Congress, led the morning prayer, and by the way, are paid by the federal government. This practice was challenged in 1983 in the Marsh v. Chambers case. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the chaplains. In the writing for the court, Chief Justice Warren Burger wrote, Clearly the men who wrote the First Amendment religion clauses did not view paid legislative chaplains and opening prayers as a violation of that amendment, for the practice of opening sessions with prayer has continued without interruption ever since that early session of Congress. Moreover, this unique history leads us to accept the interpretation of the First Amendment draftsman, who saw no real threat to the Establishment Clause arising from a practice of prayer similar to that now challenged. The delegates did not consider opening prayers as a proselytizing activity or symbolically placing the government's official seal of approval on one religious view. The Establishment Clause does not always bar a state from regulating conduct simply because it harmonizes with religious canons. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1811 by President James Madison, the father of the U.S. Constitution. Concerning the two religion clauses of the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion and or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, he wrote. Thus the whole power over the subject of religion was left exclusively to state governments to be acted on according to their own sense of justice 
and the state constitutions. Probably at the time of the adoption of the Constitution and of the First Amendment, the general, if not the universal sentiment in America was that Christianity ought to receive encouragement from the state, so far as such encouragement was not incompatible with the private rights of conscience and the freedom of religious worship. An attempt to level all religions and to make it a matter of state policy, to hold all in utter indifference, would have created universal disapprobation, if not universal indignation. Again, Justice Story. We are not to attribute this prohibition of a national religious establishment in the First Amendment to an indifference to religion in general, and especially to Christianity, which none could hold in more reverence than the framers of the Constitution. Another quote from Justice Story. The real object of the First Amendment was not to countenance, much less to advance Mohammedanism or Judaism or infidelity by prostrating Christianity, but to exclude all rivalry among Christian sects, denominations, and to prevent any national ecclesiastical patronage of the national government. In a speech at Harvard, Justice, uh, Justice Story boldly said, There never has been a period of history in which the common law did not recognize Christianity is lying at its foundation, end of quote. Noah Webster, a legendary educator and creator of the Webster Dictionary, said the following about Christianity. In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people, end of quote. Another famous man by the name of Webster was Daniel Webster, a renowned attorney, member of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, and served as Secretary of State for three presidents. In a speech on December 22, 1820, commemorating the 200-year anniversary of the Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock, he said, Lastly, our ancestors established their system of government on morality and religious sentiment. Moral habits, they believed, cannot safely be trusted on any other foundation than religious principle, nor any government be secure, which is not supported by moral habits. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. A Frenchman named Stephen Girard, who attempted to open a deist school in Philadelphia, ended up in court. The judgment of this 1844 case follows. The plan of education proposed is anti-Christian and therefore repugnant to the law. The purest principles of morality are to be taught. Where are they found? Whoever searches for them must go to the source from which a Christian man derives his faith, the Bible. There is an obligation to teach what the Bible alone can teach, viz. a pure system of morality. Both in the Old and New Testaments, religious instructions, importance is recognized. In the Old it is said, Thou shalt diligently teach them to thy children. And the New, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. No fault can be found with Gerard for wishing a marble college to bear his name forever, but it is not and not valuable unless it has a fragrance of Christianity about it. The United States Supreme Court agreed, and in a unanimous opinion read by Justice, Justice, uh, Justice Joseph's story, ruled as follows. Christianity is not to be maliciously and openly reviled and blasphemed against to the annoyance of believers, 
or the injury of the public. It is unnecessary for us, however, to consider the establishment of a school or college for the propagation of deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. Why may not laymen instruct in the general principles of Christianity as well as ecclesiastics? And we cannot overlook the blessings which such men by their conduct as well as their instructions may, nay, must impart to their youthful pupils. Why may not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, without note or comment, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the school, its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? It is also said, and truly, that the Christian religion is a part of the common law of Pennsylvania, end of quote. Also from the Vidal versus Gerard case, the court said, If we pass between these matters to a view of American life as expressed by its laws, its business, its customs, and its society, we find everywhere a clear recognition of the same truth. Among other matters, note the following, the form of oath universally prevailing, concluding with an appeal to the Almighty the custom of opening sessions of all deliberative bodies and most conventions with prayer, the prefatory words of all will in the name of God, amen, the laws respecting the observance of the Sabbath with the general cessation of all secular business and the closing of courts, legislatures, and other similar public assemblies on that day, the churches and church organizations which abound in every city, town, and hamlet, the multitude of charitable organizations is existing everywhere under the Christian auspices. The gigantic missionary associations with general support and aiming to establish Christian missions in every quarter of the globe. These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. We find everywhere a clear recognition of the same truth. Andrew Jackson, uh, Jackson excuse me, was the seventh president of the United States and also the victorious general at the Battle of New Orleans in the War of 1812. On September 11, 1834, he wrote the following to his son. I nightly offer up my prayers to the throne of grace for the health and safety of you all and that we ought all to rely with confidence on the promises of our dear Redeemer and give him our hearts. This is all he requires and all that we can do. And if we sincerely do this, we are sure of salvation through his atonement. End of quote. President Abraham Lincoln, in a September 5, 1864 speech to the Committee of Colored People, said, In regard to this great book, I have but to say, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. All the good Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare here and hereafter are to be found portrayed in it. To you, I return my most sincere thanks for the elegant copy of the great book of God which you present. Alexis de Tocqueville, the famous French statesman and historian, traveled America in the 1830s to discover her greatness. A few, a few of his observations follow. In the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. 
There is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America, and there can be no greater proof of its utility and of, it, and of its conformity to human nature than that its influence is powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. In the United States, the influence of religion is not confined to the manners, but it extends to the intelligence of the people. Christianity, therefore, reigns without obstacle by universal consent. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democracy, Congress, and in her matchless constitution. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. Again, de Tocqueville describes a court case that took place in New York, he writes. While I was in America, a witness, who happened to be called at the Azizes of the County of Chester, state of New York, declared that he did not believe in the existence of God or in the immortality of the soul. The judge refused to admit his evidence on the ground that the witness had destroyed beforehand all confidence of the court and what he was about to say. The newspaper related the fact without any further comment. The New York Spectator of August 23, 1831 relates the fact in the following terms. The Court of Common Pleas of Chester County, a few days since, rejected a witness who declared his disbelief in the existence of God. The presiding judge remarked, that he had not before been aware that there was a man living who did not believe in the existence of God, that this belief constituted the sanction of all testimony in a court of justice, and that he knew of no case in a Christian country where a witness had been permitted to testify without such belief. In 1892, the following statement was made by the U.S. Supreme Court. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. No purpose of action against religion can be imputed to any legislation, state or national, because this is a religious people. This is historically true. From the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. After a lengthy dissertation on the Christian root of America, the court closed with this statement. While because of a general recognition of this truth, the question has seldom been presented to the courts, yet we find that in Updegraff versus the Commonwealth, it was decided that Christianity, general Christianity, is and always has been a part of the common law, not Christianity with an established church, but Christianity with liberty of conscience to all men. Now turn the page to the year 2000. The U.S. Supreme Court condemned the students' public invocation at a high school football game. A stinging dissent was made by Chief Justice Rehnquist, who was joined by Justices Scalia and Thomas, Rehnquist wrote. But even more disturbing than its holding is the tone of the court's opinion. It bristles with hostility to all things religious in public life. Neither the holding nor the tone of the opinion is faithful to the meaning of the Establishment Clause, 
when it is recalled that George Washington himself, at the request of the very Congress which passed the Bill of Rights, proclaimed a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. The article written by Robin E. Bloomer in the St. Petersburg Times, cited in feature one of this theories, series, excuse me, says, The religious right has spent more than 20 years chipping away at the wall of separation between church and state, trying in Taliban-like ways to inject religion into public schools and the operations of government, end of quote. Someone has been chipping. Someone has been chipping away, attempting to rewrite history and play upon the apathy and general historic ignorance of the American people. This historic ignorance should be no surprise, since the politically correct history texts have all been neutered of the truth. America was discovered in Jesus' name, her colonies established in Jesus' name, educated in Jesus' name, and governed in Jesus' name. It's due time for the sons and daughters of God, made possible by the saving blood of Jesus Christ, to stand and defend the rock of our salvation. We need to organize to preserve this Christian nation and stand against the defaming of it by the politically correct revisionist. We need to write letters to the editors, call talk shows, petition our legislators, and attend public gatherings such as school board meetings when the testimony of the King of Glory is challenged. We need to pray for our nation and pray and defend and support our leaders who stand for Jesus. We must cast off apathy and ignorance and stand in the gap and proclaim the truth. Is Jesus Christ the foundation and Lord of America? Yes, yes, yes. God said, Psalms 33, verse 12, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. America was founded upon the only begotten Son of God, the rock Christ Jesus, and all of her blessings and greatness are a product of God's benevolence. Man said, this is not a Christian nation. It was founded by deists and agnostics. We must rally behind the concept of the separation of church and state and remove all symbols of Jesus Christ. Now you have the record.